Olivia Alcoholic. My sobriety date is March 15th, 2010. I have a sponsor. Okay, I see her, now I feel safe. Um, I have a home group, the Atlanta group, and I'm working step 10 through 12. Thank you, there's so many things going on here. Um, I, before I came up here, I was just like, oh my gosh, I'm so thirsty. I hope they got me this bottle of water so then I can like cling on to it for dear life and I don't drink water like in my daily life. So, but now I'm like fixated that like I might be thirsty, you know, and that's like how my head is. I get very distracted very, very distracted. And um, it's just crazy to be here because I'm supposed to be dead. It's just, it's like insane, you know? So um, some, some people are like, oh, are you nervous? It's like, I mean, yes, because I don't want to sound crazy, but also no, because like I used to run into moving traffic and like I did lots of dangerous things like, on a daily basis. So, you know, before I, and I've spoken here before, but I haven't spoken in a while. So today I was thinking, well, I'll, maybe I can get out of it. Like if I accidentally fall in front of the subway tracks, like then I won't have to go, you know? So it's like, that's just how my head works. That's just like insight into my brain. And um, so, okay, so the format, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. So what it was like was just, I was talking to a friend about this the other day, and people, when I first came in, I was really young, right before my 21st birthday, and people said, oh my God, like my, my best day, you know, out there is like, like worse than like my worst day sober, whatever it is, and I was like, that's just not true for me. Like, I didn't feel like that. Like, I was like, I had fun, I did a lot. Like, I would like, you know that feeling, well, I don't know, for me, it was like I would get dressed up and like who knows where I'd end up and like sometimes it would be like people in a different state and sometimes it would be like in a dark alley and like it was exciting and then like I'd wake up in the morning and be like, where's my phone? Where's my wallet? Like who are these people, you know? And like that was attractive to me in the beginning. And so it was always like a thing, right? And so it was fun with problems, problems. Well, it was fun. It always had problems for me, but then it was like fun with problems. And then it was just like major liability every time I like left the house. And I related to like, when I came to the rooms, it was like, it was, someone said, we have a God-sized hole in like this anxious apartment and apartness. And it was always like, I was just like uncomfortable. And it was always like, if I could just be somewhere else with someone else in a different circumstance, like then I'll feel okay. And I would like arrange life, like it says in the third step, like in the reading, like I would arrange everything and it would be the setup. And then it would be like, I don't know, a dog would bark. And I was like, I can't live like this, you know, like I'm just, I'm done, you know? And I did a lot of things at a very young age and I chalked it off to like, that's just what we do you know that's just what kids do because I hung out with like the same people that the lower companions that like sought after you're timing me right okay I'm like on a tangent so I hung out with these crazy people who like did what I did so I was like we're all just like on team blackout and like it's fine you know and that I had a Facebook group team blackout and I was like proud about it you know and um and I thought of this when I was coming here, like, because one of my friends showed up who's not in the program and she's really great and she's spiritual. And like, it's weird that I find spiritual people now not in the program. Like I used to like attract like, 
like convicted felons. That's like what the truth was. And so I remember thinking like, well, how did I make friends before? You know, I know it's centered around drinking, but like, what did I really do? And the way it's basically what I'm trying to say is the bar for my life when I was drinking and using was very low. It was all about how am I going to get like out of myself and it doesn't matter like who it's with or if it's alone or how I get it the rain's not going to deter me I'll be in Harlem I'll walk barefoot like which I used to do in the city to like if I'm in heels like I've got to get it faster like who knows like you know nothing would stop me and so I was thinking well how did I meet these characters and then I remembered I went to school and I have a disease of perception and I'm self-centered to the extreme and my attitude is just toxic naturally you know and so I went to school somehow I missed the deadline of the colleges I wanted to go to so I like randomly applied on Google and I got into this random school so I was like I'm going to California I told you you know and I went out there with my parents who and I could have been grateful like oh they're sending me to school they're taking their time to move me they want to have these dinners and my attitude was like how am I gonna like drink if I have to like sit through these dinners and when I just so finally I would get frustrated with my parents this is just an example and I would say okay just drop me to CVS like I, I don't know that was my idea to go to CVS and see who's smoking cigarettes by some sort of gas station to see if I can get something and like that's how I met people this is a true story and um so that was my self-worth. It was like very low. I didn't have hobbies and people were like, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I was like, I'm going to be dead by 25. Like, I don't have to worry about that kind of stuff. And so it got pretty bad. I mean, it was just, it was a spiritual, mental, emotional bottom. Like it was the things that we talk about in the book. Like I was waking up in hospitals. I was trying to control my drinking. I was doing everything to control it and nothing was working. And then it just like stopped working the actual drinking and the whatever I'm doing like everything stopped working so I was checking out on whatever I could like it would be alcohol if I couldn't get that outside issues food whatever this is AA but it's the same thing like I was like frantically searching to fill a god-sized hole and it didn't work and I mean it's just impossible to tell you everything in five minutes but I lost a bet and my punishment was then go to an AA meeting. I don't know how I felt for this. People were very concerned. So I lost this bet. They were like, see if you can control your drinking. And I was like, of course I can, you know, and I couldn't. So I had to go to, so I made a bet with someone in college and I went to an AA meeting and the seed was planted. I had been before at 16, but I was totally disturbed when I went to my first meeting. I'm like, people hold hands. This is like disturbing disgusting you know so I was like I, I couldn't like I stood up they said oh does anyone have 90 days and I'm like me and it was this meeting in Times Square and they're like sit down just like don't bother and that's it was so I didn't know what was happening so I went to a meeting and I was a chronic relapser so a lot of things transpired but the point is that the only thing that allowed me to get and stay sober was like doing the work that's outlined in the book so the first 164 pages and I mean, I did it, I was desperate. Like, I had the gift of desperation. Like, they were like, oh, we wish you the gift of desperation. And I was like, oh, I've suffered enough. Like, you people are crazy, you know? And I went to the rooms, and like, I had this sponsor who was very strict, and she told me, um, mop the floors. Like, 
I got sober in California and I didn't have a choice. Like it was like, she was like, I'm your sponsor and like you do service. And like this weekend, you're gonna move me out of my apartment. And like, it was really like that. And I had nothing to do. And so I told her like, oh my God, I can't do that. Like it's a lot for me. And she was like, you have nowhere to be, you know? And it was like, I had cut, burned all those bridges so long ago. I literally had nowhere to go. Like everyone was done. The people who I like partied with were just like, don't call us, like, it's just, it was too much, and so she had me do these things, these things that humbled me, and she had me do the work, and she said, she really did tell me that she was like, you can't steal from Alcoholics Anonymous, like, you have to give back, when someone asks you to speak, it's not an option to say no, like, it's not an option, that's what she told me, and she said, I always have to sit in the front, sorry to the people way back there, but she told me, she was like, the back is death row. I don't know what to tell you. Like, she was like, some are sicker than others and you're the others, so like you get to do more and that's just a fact for you. So it wasn't like, I didn't have the sponsor like, oh, like we love you. Like she, she, she just like loved me like, because I would die if I had any leeway. That's how it was. It was like, if I didn't do this, like if, if someone gave me an inch, it was like I was off the deep end, you know? So I had to do things that were outside of the book, just like it was suggestions. It's not outlined in the book, but she said, I need all the help I can get. So I had a schedule. Like I wasn't even up. Like I couldn't make it to new meetings. Like I was in two meetings a day for over a year. And she said, like, you'll go to any lengths. And that's just like what you have to do and I'm really lucky because I never got confused about like that I don't have to come here and do something because I know for me like to drink is to die it's not an option it's just but sometimes I think like and I know I have almost 14 years of sobriety but I'm like suicide sound pretty good you know but that's untreated alcoholism that's just untreated alcoholism and that's like not seeking a higher power, not getting out of myself, like not doing service because the only, and I fall short of this all the time. Like I don't, what I've come to realize over the years is like my time means literally nothing. It just means I have experience, but it actually means nothing because I'm just as much in danger as anyone else. So like it's that serious for me um, all the time. Okay, bye. Thank you. Our second 10-minute speaker is Drew. Wow. My name is Drew. I'm an alcoholic. It's good to be here tonight. My sobriety date is July 18th, 2022. My home group is the Lifeboat Men's Group up in the Bronx. It's my first time speaking here. I'm nervous. And um, I'm really grateful that I was asked to speak tonight. And um, yeah, when I was a kid, I always just felt left out. That's how the drinking had started, always left out. I, uh, my family was struck by a tragedy when I was 10 years old. I lost my brother, and uh, cops took me out of my grandmother's house, took me to an orphanage for a couple of weeks, so no idea where my family was. And then my uncle and aunt scooped me up and said, we're going to take care of you from now on. And uh, I say this as part of my story because I was always just like felt like an outcast with my family, with the people I grew up with. I grew up in a small town in Westchester County. And uh, from the jump, I latched onto sports really quickly and I did whatever I could to fit in. 
even with my aunt and uncle, I'd play all nicey-nice and kind and well-mannered, but I'd always looking for a way to cause some trouble with friends. And I started playing baseball and um, hanging out with the cool kids, trying to fit in with the cool kids. And we, uh, there was a kid who would go all the way down to Fordham and get old English 40s and bring them back up on the train. And I was like, get me two of those 40s, man. I'm gonna, let's see what this, this beer thing is about. And uh, I drank two of those 40s, was throwing up everywhere. I went to my first high school party and I thought, oh, this is it. And I get to make my entrance. I get to be the main character. It's another thing that I, I suffer from is like main character syndrome. I think I'm the, uh, the main character of every Academy Award nominated film. Uh, Goodwill Hunting, Forrest Gump. <laughs> like, I, I thought that my life would just end up like that, full circle. I could, you know, main character, things were gonna be all right. These bad things were meant to happen. You know, it's gonna be picture perfect at the end. James Bond. But anyway, I started to drink, I went to that party, and I got kicked out of the party. I was throwing up everywhere, and my uncle, uh, he told me about how alcoholism is part of our family. You know, my, my dad's side, Puerto Rican side, my mom's side, the Irish side, two solid drinking cultures. And um, <clears throat> and I just, you know, didn't do anything about it. I just kept trying to fit in, kept trying to be the clown, kept thinking I knew it all. And I floated through high school because of baseball. Baseball helped me a lot. And uh, I fit in with that group there and the camaraderie and um, drinking was a big part of that, trying to fit in, do what I could, drink the most at parties, do the dumbest thing. Until I got to college where, you know, I, I ran into some serious trouble at a frat party. Um, and I got kicked out of college. I worked really hard to get to that school. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm on the right path. I'm following, doing what I'm supposed to be doing. But there was just so much that, you know, I wasn't really getting honest about. And I had been put into therapy and bereavement ever since I was a kid. And I wasn't getting honest with my therapist, psychologist, none of that. And uh, got kicked out of college. I was able to move back in with my mom, and the drinking just escalated from there. I ended up getting, going into college at Baruch, and the city was kind of just like my playground. I was able to just drink wherever, continue those James Bond fantasies, and have my whiskey at the bar, and just try to like <laughs> talk to people, pick up people, and like I was always just angry. And whatever relationship I had in my college years, part of my story was a lot of was a lot of cheating and a lot of emotional abuse and a lot of <clears throat> you need to bow down to me because what I'm learning about this disease is it's the the selfishness and self-centeredness is so much and uh, I was like king baby as I heard said king baby me 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 always you need to apologize to me this happened in my life this is why I deserve to drink you know Whatever happened in your life is nothing, you know? And uh, so I kept going, in and out of relationships, floating through college, was able to become a teacher um, up in the Bronx, and uh, I was good at it. 
I continued to do that and kind of just float along and just go through the motions, not really living, just sort of a shell, just a shell. And uh, after that incident in college, my uh, therapist said, you, you think you might have a, a drinking problem because alcohol seems to be the core of all these problems you're running into? And I was like, no, I don't think so. Shaking it off. And uh, a little over a year ago, um, I find myself walking down 2nd Avenue, just got kicked out of my girlfriend's apartment, and uh, just looking at, like, wow, this is, not, <laughs> this is not the movie that I was planning. Uh, this is not how I wanted to feel. This is not how I thought, you know, this drinking would, would get to me. And uh, I had family members in AA when I moved to Westchester with my aunt and uncle and my cousin. My uncle was sober. My, my cousin is sober as well. And uh, they got me this guy's number, Jamie J. I don't know if he's here, but um, he knew my cousin like 20 years back when I lost my brother. And he helped get her sober. And he helped get me sober. And he took me to my first men's meeting. And uh, I was scared. I was so scared. Just to like, you know, I didn't think, I didn't think I'd be here. I didn't think I'd be here. Uh, I told myself, no way. And then when I actually said that I'm an alcoholic, it was like, I mean, it was just really freeing, really freeing. And like years of therapy didn't touch that one sentence. I'm Drew, I'm an alcoholic. And then I shared what was really on my mind. <clears throat> and I started getting more and more honest with people and my family, becoming more comfortable in my skin. I didn't have to play a role, which I was getting really good at. And then it, it just was not working for me. I was tired of hurting other people. And I got a sponsor, Spike. And uh, he said, what meeting are you going to tomorrow? And I was like, I, I have to go to one tomorrow? Like, I have to keep doing this? Because I was like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where to go. I know all the bars in New York City. Don't know where the AA meetings are. And I got numbers. I made phone calls. We started to go to the diner after meetings. And, uh, and then eventually I moved from Manhattan to the Bronx and I found my home group. And I knew, my sponsor told me like, you gotta get connected up there. You know, I knew I had to move. When I moved to be closer to my job, I knew I had to get connected. And I got connected. And I started meeting guys at my home group and going to different types of meetings, tradition meetings, step meetings, meditation meetings, reading out of the Living Sober book, like all these resources that I was learning about was just like uncovering new things about my life. All these things I just kept away and thought that, oh, I thought I'm deaf. I thought everything is wrong in my life. You know, this thing happened to me so I get to act like this. No the death and the tragedy, all those things, it, it, it doesn't define me. And um, so I'm slowly learning so many things. And I got a commitment as a chairperson, and the more I kept taking my sponsor's suggestions and meeting people, hanging out with them, hearing their perspective on things, the more I just started to uncover a lot. And uh, now when I teach 
my kids, I still, they still think I'm a crazy teacher, I don't know, wild. If only they knew, <laughs> if only they knew. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so <sighs> the suggestions helped a lot. And uh, meeting people and seeing all you people here, it gives me so much hope, you know. Um, this, is, this, is keep, this is helping me stay sober. And uh, I know that no matter what comes or what's next, like I know that I can keep trying and just keep taking the suggestions and trying someone else, trying to help somebody who's new coming into this meeting. And I, uh, I'm eternally grateful, I really am. Making a gratitude list every morning, writing at the end of my day, calling my sponsor, um, calling other people and praying, praying my higher power, someone, something I had always was in touch with. But now in sobriety, it's like amplified times 50. And uh, they've led me here today to speak in front of you. And that's all the time I got. Thank you. And our main speaker tonight is Kim. Okay, I get a special one, huh? <laughs> Hello, everyone. My name is Kim, and I am an alcoholic. My sober date is February 2nd, 1990, Groundhog's Day. My group is, my home group is Rosedale Springfield in uh, Queens, New York. And I'm very, very, very honored to be here. I'm looking out at the audience and I'm like saying, oh my God, this is a big group. <laughs> and thank you because I heard a lot of newcomers and that is what it's about. Each one, teach one. There are no little eyes, no big U's. We all started with, with one day. And so I want to congratulate all that are counting days once again. <clears throat> and to let you know that it's not about willpower, <laughs> it's about his power, wherever that is greater that he is in, in, within me, is within the world. And I found God within me. And I'm gonna tell you my story as it's outlined in the big book, what it used to be like, what happened, and what it's not like now. And even after 34 years, I still have to make meanings because I can't drink. And let me tell you, the blessing is, when you keep coming, you will intuitively know how to handle situations that used to baffle you. Now, let me give you an example of that. Why can't he, I drink? <laughs> I mean, I haven't had a drink in 33 years. Why can't I drink? I've, I've proven that I can stop. <laughs> One 
Well, I can tell you that I actually came in in 1989 with the same idea, and I didn't come back until 1990, and I was blessed to come back then. Now, when I share, I share the first three steps. I can't, he can, so I let him. One, two, and three. It even reiterates that at the end of how it works. Isn't that something? Just in case if you forgot. <laughs> I'm an alcoholic and I can't manage my own life. Oh, jeez. Probably no human power could relieve me of my alcoholism. That means me. That means my spouse. <laughs> okay? That means things. I mean, I, it's nice to have things, but they don't keep me sober. <laughs> that God could and would if, if he was sought. And sometimes I forget how to seek God, which is why I have to stay very close to Alcoholics Anonymous. Why I have to make meetings all the time. Why I have to have a sponsor or one somebody to talk to. So I'm going to tell you, I, I could tell you, thank you for sharing, sweetie. Could I identify? Because I'm going to tell you, I came in here February 2nd, 1990 with hot pants on. Now, do I need to say any more? <laughs> See, because I lost all reality. I didn't even know what the seasons were when I came in here. And it says no matter how far down the scale we have gone, we can share our experience with the whole to let you know that you don't have to go that far. I should have stopped when you stopped. I should have stopped when I still had a job, when I still had kids. but I was searching for that willpower. See, cause my sister and I, we used to drink together. And so she had, uh, you know, a grandson and she just stopped drinking. We used to go hang out in the bars and stuff. So I said, well, she said, no, I'm not drinking anymore, Kim. And I said, just like that? No, not, not even a drink on the weekends? She said, no, I'm not drinking anymore. <laughs> Why would you want to do that? And she said, because I have a grandson and I don't want his grandma drinking. So I didn't believe, of course. I mean, how do you not drink? So weeks went by and I said, how are you doing this? This was when I was young. How are you doing this? And she said, willpower, Kim, something you don't have. <laughs> I said, yeah, she had that right. <laughs> Even if I had willpower, it wasn't enough. And so I was to suffer more. Oh, in the beginning, oh, let me just tell you, in the beginning, I was fly. Drinking Don Perignon, Corvosi, 
wearing my mink coat, my diamonds with a Cadillac. Couldn't tell me nothing. And then I, I met this man who I just absolutely fell in love with. <laughs> you talked about it. <laughs> Standing in the, in the, on, at the bodega store wait, looking for your man, looking for the dream of your life. <laughs> well, I found my man because I was in a bar. I was a barmaid. And uh, he walked in, and when he walked in, he was wearing a linen suit, linen shoes, jumped out of a Cadillac. And when he got to the bar, he sat a lunch bag, you know those little brown paper lunch bags, up there on the counter. He said, honey, I want you to set the bar up and you get what you want. And of course, when I wasn't buying, I'm drinking top shelf. And he went into that little brown bag and pulled out a wad of money. Damn that, excuse me, that was my man. That was my man. A wad of money out of a brown paper bag. Exactly what I'm looking for. He was a salesman, y'all making plenty of dough with what he was selling <laughs> until I took him out of business because I liked what he was selling too. Okay, it enabled me to drink as much as I wanted without having to fall off the bar stool. And so my progress, because I didn't come in, because I still felt like I, I still got it going on, you know, at that time when I met him, I had already had a nine-month-old son. And then I was to have two more children. My third child was my daughter. She was born two pounds, 14 ounces. I drank. And some of you might say, oh my, how could she? This disease had me in the grips. They say that this disease is a rapacious creditor. It does not stop taking. I told you I was loud. <laughs> it will take and take and take and you will never stop owing. And so I brought my baby home, and I'm still caught up in the grips of this disease. And I said, God, please help me. But it was one of those false prayers. God, please help me. I didn't want to do anything about it. I just want you to do it through osmosis. I don't, I don't want to do anything about it. I don't want to show up. Just help me. Faith without work is dead. It also says that in our big book. So it took me losing my children, losing my job, losing my husband, 
and losing my home, where I became homeless, hopeless, and helpless. Now you don't need to go there, because I told you that I was crazy back, way back when. But now I'm walking around with hot pants in the wintertime, and I don't know what seasons it are. I know when it's Christmas, though, because you guys used to put your lights out. So when I came in February 2nd, 1990, I came in as only the dying could. I had nowhere else to go. All scorecards read zero. I don't know if any of you newcomers feel the way that I felt. But nothing else worked. And so I asked God, please kill me. Take my life. And he did. He took my life February 2nd, 1990. And he gave me a new one. Now, of course, when I prayed out to him to take my life, I didn't know it was going to be that way. He directed me to Alcoholics Anonymous. And I came in here and it was a bunch of group of drunks giving me good orderly direction. They told me when I got here that I had to get a sponsor. A sponsor is just someone who has knowledge of the 12 steps, the 12 traditions, and is working them in their lives. Now, see, there's a difference when you have 12 steps in your life and you go out there and you cut somebody off. It's different when you have 12 steps in your life and you go home and you start to argue with your spouse instead of knowing how to talk. Again, faith without works is dead. And so what did he do? He gave me a new life. Because let me tell you, I could no longer be a mother, a sister, a friend, an employee, a good neighbor. Didn't know how to do those things anymore. But in keep coming, more was revealed. And that more was me. And that more was me. See, because when I came in here, so centered to the core, I thought that you guys were supposed to revolve around me. <laughs> and if you didn't do what I expected you to do, you were wrong. And if I felt like lashing out, I would. And I'd say, you deserved it. I no longer could function in life anymore. There's this book called Acceptance. I don't know if that's approved AA literature. But I did whatever it took for me. Whatever it took. The big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, the step book, <laughs> the living sober book. <laughs> Every book there was, I needed it. But there's a little pamphlet called The Acceptance, and it talks about the man around these twirling dervishes. 
And another man saying, man, doesn't this bother you? How do you deal with that? And he said, I just let him twirl. Nancy knows, thank you, Nancy. Thank you so much. And I also want to thank Song. Oh my God, thank you so much for inviting me to your wonderful, wonderful group. And how I've been cut off. <laughs> I was like, these people are crazy. Even the ones on the bicycles. This is where I got to let them twirl. Because if I don't let them twirl, I lose my serenity, my peace of mind, something I did not have when I came in here. I was irritable, restless, and discontent. There was no serenity or peace of mind. There was none of that. And because of AA, I was able to get my three children back. And at the time when I got them back, the youngest one was two. The baby was, I mean, the, the middle child was nine. And then my oldest one was 12. Those children today, the oldest one is 45. The middle child is 42, and the baby is 34. And in raising my children, in making meetings, and staying sober, I was to meet another husband. Now, God has given me another chance to become a mother. What a blessing. But then he says, okay, Kim, I think you're ready to become a wife again. And I met my husband in the rooms. He says, I 13 stepped him. <laughs> he says, I 13 stepped him, but I didn't 13 step him. I only had one year more than him. How could I possibly 13 step you? After two years, he had one. For like three years, he had two. Whatever. <laughs> and we have been together for 30 years and married 25. So, God has given me a husband and a chance to be a wife. And a wife is a partnership. I just said there are no big eyes and no little U's up in here. It gave me the ability to know that the world does not revolve around me. That I have to share my time with my husband. I have to sit and I have to listen when my husband is in need of someone to listen to him. It gave me the opportunity to be employable again. <laughs> I just retired from that job. How long has it been, honey? A year? Over a year? 
over a year. Just retire. Yeah, I'm getting a little slow there. I may look good, <laughs> but I'm a senior citizen and proud of it. This is what God has done for me, you know? Now, I'm not going to say that there's no adversities in our lives. That's why they reiterate the first three steps again. They just change it around a little bit at the end. Because our adversities before, and that meant before AA, and after which is when we have the program of Alcoholics Anonymous working in our lives. And the program leads us to the one with all power, and that one is God. May you find him now. I pray to my God every day. I thank my God every day because I didn't have to wake up this morning. I have asthma. I thank him for waking me up. It doesn't have to be. And I know what he has me here for today, and that is to serve him and only him. And so for that, I have to also be a good sponsor. I have to call my sponsee when she's afraid to call me. <laughs> you know how it is. <laughs> You know? And I gotta let her know. There are no big eyes, little yous. I need you like you need me. You think that you're not, you, I'm getting you sober? Hmm, she got another thing coming. She keeps me sober. And I love her very much. I have friends that came out. Oh my God, I have friends. Where's my, my, I love you. He was like, where's my seat? <laughs> we talking about coming out from Queens, y'all. I love this program. I love this program. For any of you who oh, say, oh, but I'm not there yet. Oh, oh, we, could I just tell you? <laughs> this is a journey. It's a journey. It's not where we reach something we have now graduated. <laughs> we now, we now know the one with all power, but we are still alcoholics and we still cannot manage our own lives. For 33 years, who would think I'd know how to do that? But I have to get up every morning and I have to ask God to please remove me from me because you don't want to run into Kim. <laughs> oh yeah, Kim is still here. You didn't know that? My default, they call them defects of character, which is my default. <laughs> like my husband said, you know, the default like the computer. <laughs> Just defaults back to the way it normally is. And you don't want to meet her. I don't want to meet her. She scares me. 
So this is a journey. It's, it's in the journey that we find happiness. The little things in life, like, oh my God, I'm able to brush my teeth without throwing up in the sink. to go to my family's weddings without counting how many drinks somebody is drinking <laughs> or how slow they're drinking. <laughs> I don't have to zone in on that anymore. And it's still one day at a time. I have someone who was here, God bless him, he's no longer here with us. And he used to say, oh, how, how much time you got? And I'd say, oh, I got two years. He said, oh, you got more than me. Now, I knew I didn't have more than this man. This man was an old timer. I'm looking at him like, you, what you, what's wrong with you? Got two heads? He said, I just got the day. <laughs> he says, hey, what time did you wake up? Because you may be long, sober longer than me, according to what time you woke up this morning. And I didn't understand that, but I understand it today. It's a daily reprieve contingent on our spiritual condition. And what do we do with that? We make meetings. In the beginning, we make meetings on top of meetings. And I don't know about anybody else. It didn't have to be any time of the day or a certain time of the week or whatever when I drank. I drank every day. I drank my liquor and I drank your liquor. So I have to chase my recovery like I chased that drink. So there are no excuses. Oh, it's raining outside. I told you I came in with hot pants on in February. There's snow on the ground. What am I doing with hot pants on? Well, I can tell you they didn't look like hot pants. They look like culottes because I was only 85 pounds. And my legs were this big, my thighs. <laughs> God took a wrench like me, dusted me off and made me a lady today. And like I said, do I fall short sometimes? Yes. But I am so close to my higher power in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous where people get to know me. That's why you have to make meetings every day. So the members that have been here for a while will get to know you. And so when you come into the rooms and they say, hey, how you feeling today? I'm fine. <laughs> they know. And they don't stop pressuring you, do they? It's like, okay, enough already. Let us love you until you can learn to love yourself. And when you love yourself is when you know you have that power, the power of God within you. And that power could be anything you want except like moving chairs and stuff like that. We don't, we, 
we don't recommend it. I, I, I just anything animated <laughs> or not animated. <laughs> and I'm counting, he's giving me the countdown now and that's good because I'm like running out of stuff to say. <laughs> I'm not usually a 30 minute speaker, but I love you guys. I really, really do. And it doesn't matter what part of the world we in, right? Alcoholics Anonymous has afforded us a job where I can actually travel today. And it doesn't matter what part of the world we're in. We can make a meeting. Call in to group. <laughs> we can make a meeting. I'm in the Bahamas and I want a Bahama mama. Call in the group. <laughs> I can tell you that this has been the greatest gift of my life. And I can't say enough about God. I can't say enough. I love him. There's some people who say, you sound like a minister sometimes. And I said, whatever, hmm? <laughs> whatever. I know my God, and he's doing a mighty fine job. I sure don't want to do the job for him. <laughs> and I want to thank all of you, all of you for being in my life today at this moment letting me know with all of these people that I am not alone. And thanks for letting me share.